Do you ever want to be a guest on a super cool podcast hosted by a glamorous power couple from their cutting-edge home studio on the outskirts of a major metropolitan world hub? Hollywood, anyone? Us, too. Until then, let's pretend. One of these days, you might get a DM, a PM, an EM, or even a message in a bottle inviting you to join my husband and I for an hour or two in our chat lab, working on solutions for all the world's problems. And when you are invited, there's only one response. Yeah, uh-huh. I hear Tom Petty. Yeah, yeah. Love, love Tom Petty. We yeah. we did a um, we did an episode recently where another podcast gave an assignment to pick the top for pretend by magic the traveling Wilburys are all alive and reunited for one show. You have to pick the top four songs from each member, and. Uh, was it four encores that could be yeah, an encore for each and then also yeah go ahead right. oh yeah. we had to pick four wilbury songs too right yeah. 28 nice. songs total nice mm-hmm. yeah. and but trimming them down to four especially tom petty it turned oh. out it's really really difficult i've yeah. i've tried my wife's a big tom petty fan too i've tried Pick favorite song and and top. I can't do it. I mean, yeah. something else comes come along that, and you're like, "That's him." Yeah, right. Might yeah. not come off the Echo album. It seems it's like yeah. was he just the Beatles all by himself? <laughs> you, you say that, but that's what it reminds me yeah. of when you start to really dig into it. Is mm-hmm. the volume of earworms, the big hit, you know, the hits and and the, the songs that just. That even weren't hits that you love. It's Beatlesque, I think. Yeah. yeah. We didn't we didn't even catalog. get into his videos either. Right. right, right. I totally totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And and I became a Roy Orbison fan. I had no yeah. idea about right. him. Excellent. That that was awesome. His, yeah, he's good voice. too. Oh. Yeah, Lisa and I are kind of going down this journey together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we, we we listened to the one song. Um, you didn't know much um, yellow either, right? Uh, Treat yeah. me, uh, handle with care. Yeah, and we listened to Tom Betty singing it, and then we listened to Roy Orbison singing it, and just Roy Orbison's vocals. Really, yeah, it missed it. over. Yeah. Oh sure. I mean, Tom Petty. Throw Bob Dylan's down under. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Bob Dylan and and George Harrison are your backup singers, you know? I mean, yeah. (laughs) Well, this topic we're about to to, uh, cover does tend to generate high decibel uh, opinions. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, We'll see. There there could be some dimensions. Even even though, even though there's a registered Republican in my living room. Uh-oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Had I known I, that, I'm not sure I would have agreed. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm Green Party, man. Yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, I'm independent. I, I, I'm like Bernie. I caucus with the Dems. Yeah. Well, I feel like that I'm, I might be the perfect sounding board then. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Enjoy and, the discussion. I mean, I, I, I read something, and I don't know if this is still true. This was back um, when I was um, in my 20s. I read that almost exclusively since TV has been around, the taller candidate has won. Interesting. And and I know That's you're right. more of a pundit than we are. So I thought I'd, you know, put that out there and see if you knew about that or if it was something. Well, I sure don't know the, how tall. A... I'll look up Nixon. Are you looking up Nixon and Kennedy? No. no. You can look it up. Well, I mean, you have to kind of look at Nixon and Kennedy. There is a limit to taller versus, you know, a Nixon was sweaty. He refused to wear any makeup. Well, you're talking about, you're talking about the I I saw it in Poli Sci, you know, the the debate between Nixon and Mm -hmm. and, uh, Kennedy basically won the election for Kennedy in 63, I guess. Yeah, right. But I I was just saying, was Nixon taller? I don't know. I always thought of Nixon as short. Let's but count it down because we don't know okay. what will so, schedule it. Is. Right. We want to make sure you yeah, get started. Let's get started. No problem. Okay. It'll start getting cooler. I you wish just, you just watch. I wish science agreed with you. <laughs> hey, well, I don't think science knows actually. But it's uh, hydrosonic. I call it super duper. Because super duper is easier for people to understand than hydrosonic. I caught the super duper missiles that go very fast, hydrosonic, right? Super dupers, they go five to seven times faster than the fastest missile in the world. They go so fast you can't do anything. Did you use the word smart? Don't ever use the word smart with me. Don't ever use that word. I know more about wind than you do. It's extremely expensive, kills all the birds, it's very intermittent, got a lot of problems. I like this stuff, I really get it. People are surprised that I understand it. Every one of these doctors said, how do you know so much about this? Maybe I have a natural ability. Maybe I should have done that instead of running for president. Um, hey, listeners. Welcome to Yeah, Aha with Lisa. And Phil. This week, we have Will Cooper. He is a political writer. He, um, We're going to be looking into uh, President Trump. And uh, I, I mean, one just precursor is I feel like President Trump or ex-President Trump, thankfully, is, uh, in case you're wondering where I weigh in, um, I feel he's campaigning still, <laughs> even today. And, and I have the feeling that even if he doesn't run for president again, I think he will continue campaigning because I think he just enjoys the rallies. Well, that seems to be his MO. Yeah. yeah. But we should also so, add that Aaron, um, yeah. our friend Aaron. Oh, yes. Um, well. Our friend Aaron is on with us. Hello. Uh, Aaron, our frequent flyer from California, who uh, must be tired. <laughs> <laughs> My arms are certainly. Yeah. But welcome, Will. Uh, yep. So thank you, you for a, joining us. Thanks, Bill, Lisa. Thanks, Aaron. Great to be here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. We were. I was really excited to have you on. Um, mm-hmm. After reading yes. uh, a couple columns that I found of yours online, and then I saw that you've already published a book, a book of your, uh, some of your nationally syndicated columns and, and another one is forthcoming and um you know I don't, normally we try to stay apolitical on the show but uh, we're going to open it up a little bit today i think and from different points of view with uh, at least a focused uh, opinion of trump really <laughs> but uh, so welcome sounds great and um lisa i, I agree with you very much that mm-hmm. he's always campaigning 
Yeah. That the, the rallies give him emotional sustenance that he doesn't get in other ways. And um, yeah. <clears throat> it's hard to know, is he positioning specifically to run again, or mm-hmm. just this is what he likes to do. He likes the attention. He can monetize his following. Right. Um, things along those lines. And he, his poll numbers, are, you know, in my view, it, it's a scary thing. Unfortunately, yeah. are still very high. There was a straw poll at the CPAC conference in July. I think he got like 98% re- approval among Republicans and wow. several multiples above Ron DeSantis as the most likely. Yeah. But that is the CPAC conference. I mean, that's, yes. that's well, as far right as you're going to get pretty much. Yeah. Absolutely. Not representative of, of the whole, but but probably mm-hmm. a lot of signal there as far as what the Republican Party might think in the, the years to come. But mm-hmm. absolutely, Aaron, not not representative okay. of, the, of the general population at all. And I, and I have to say, for me, that's a little terrifying. <laughs> I agree. We need to continue to rally. We need it. We need the next election. If if he is involved in any way, we need to. Um, we need the, the polls to be so busy again that we have to actually wait. Well, I know this this weekend, in fact, um, mm-hmm. uh, Eric Dieters is holding a Trump um, benefit on his massive farm out in the suburbs of Cincinnati and um, at his own personal mm-hmm. expense, I guess. And, and it, it's just amazing yeah. the grip. So, I mean, that he has Trump on was, certain people. He He's was really- booed at his most recent rally, I think. Was it yesterday? Um, he was he was trying to encourage people to say you know, to get vax, and he says, "Well, at least I had the vax, and that's when they booed him." Mm. Mm. Well, yeah. I mean, he did initially side against the vaccine. That's one of the things that Philip mentions in his outline: the hydro uh, hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, I found that uh, disturbing. For the vaccine, that he would. Uh, basically dismiss the um, advice of his uh, experts, you know, like Dr. Fauci and people that uh, were tasked with uh, managing the uh, pandemic and basically go off and try a equivalent of almost like a snake oil um, remedy, this hydro hydroxychloroquine. What do you have to lose? I'll say it again. What do you have to lose? Take it. Hydroxychloroquine. Try it if you'd like. I felt like that it, it, you know, it speaks to the the type of man that was in in, in charge. You know, um, that maybe, mm. you know, that, that he, he doesn't seem to uh, embrace science or anything like that. I think speak a little bit to the nature of the man, maybe, um, that, if you wouldn't mind, Will. Yeah, absolutely. And you're uh, our expert. We'll let you talk. Absolutely, I think. <laughs> Phil, you make a great point and you bring up a great example. Mm-hmm. Historically, for very, very obvious and compelling reasons, presidents are careful with their words. Mm-hmm. When you're the president of the United States, you have the biggest microphone on the planet. And the things that you say aren't just your views. They have dramatic impact on people's lives, especially when health and safety are involved. And, and Trump's um, never, in my opinion, been thoughtful or conscientious about the impact of, of his words on just people's health and safety. And, and, and that was a really startling example of that. Um, typically, a president would be very thoughtful about what they were saying. They would want their 
pronouncements to be vetted by health officials to make sure that what they say is not going to harm people. Because when the president speaks, a lot of people are going to do what he says. And um, I think it was not long after he said that um, statement, and, and even the way he did it in sort of a freewheeling way was still dangerous because, you know, people are going to are going to take what he says very seriously. But not long after that, he held the indoor rally in Oklahoma at the, at the sort of the, the peak of pre-vaccine COVID. The worst, the worst stretch we had, no vaccine, really, really tough. Um, he holds an indoor rally in Oklahoma with his followers and goes back to, to Phil, what you were talking about earlier and Lisa, how he just, he needs the rallies. He needs mm-hmm. them so bad that he's willing to do things that as a matter of medical science are inevitably going to lead to, to people dying. Right. And mm-hmm. that was just such a striking thing for him to do and such a window into, you know, how he values things. Right. But you you kind of see that right from the outset of his presidency that he would cycle through people in his cabinet and um, campaign managers like Steve Bannon. You know, he thought maybe this guy was going to be here, you know, like his uh, trusted advisor for the duration of the campaign. And these people came and gone right and left because he he seemed to uh, trust his own feelings or, 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 you know. More so than his advice, yeah. you know. Yeah, he had. What do you have? He has no history of following advice of anyone that I can that I could ever ascertain. Yeah, he has unbelievable confidence in his own views, and yet those views are not rooted in rational thinking. They're yeah. rooted mm-hmm. in reality, his instincts, and so that that's kind of the last characteristic you would want in the commander in chief. That's probably, that's probably the first thing you would want to exclude from the list of candidates is somebody that that's like that. And that, yet he, he that rally you referred to, is that the one where Herman Cain got COVID? Herman Cain died shortly thereafter. Yeah. yeah. And he was there. So yeah, it's yeah. A, not, not a, a, a large leap to draw that conclusion. That's for sure. No, um, not to get too controversial or too piling it on, but um, do you think he's, um, he has sociopathic tendencies. Do you think he is a sociopath, not psychopath, sociopath? There's a difference. Yeah, I, I don't, I think he's very unfit to be the most powerful person in the world. I think, he, I think you want 99th percentile intelligence, rationality, and morality in the Oval Office. And he's nowhere close to that. Now, in the general population, would I put him on the far other side of that continuum and say that he's a sociopath or mentally ill? He's a narcissist. Um, I I think narcissism, he would probably go very far in that direction uh, as as being a narcissist and clinically so. It's just the things he says. Um, But I don't know if he's, he's, you know, full-fledged mentally ill or sociopath. I think he's just like... That's when you you don't have like empathy or understanding of others' feelings. I think that might be that describes him pretty much too. I think there's a lot there, but I think that that is true in an enormous number of people. I think his we've got seventy million voters that love him. I mean, are they all sociopaths? I just I don't know. I think the tendencies are there. He's unequivocally not somebody that you want in the Oval Office, but mm-hmm. but from a distance, can I sort of 
say this yeah. individual oh. has this mental illness. I'm no. not quite there. Yeah. But he's, okay. he shouldn't be president. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I, when I, when I recall the election, the 2017 election, I, I had uh, friends and family who were really agonizing over their choices because they were Republicans and they didn't, they didn't necessarily want to vote for Trump, but they kind of, reluctantly did so i did not fall into that trap by the way <laughs> i did not vote for him but um either time but right. um so i felt like they, it, it was a lesser of two evils in their mind and then somehow the man came into office and started with some of these things we're talking about these uh, uh totalitarian almost and and, and and maybe sociological tendencies that you learn about in history class and sociology class, like do not, you know, those who do not remember the past are doomed to repeat them. You know, you see tendencies in him that remind you of Benito Mussolini, um, you know, just the, yeah, yeah, the, the loyalty oaths and loyalty tests. Exactly. It. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah. so what is the concede or peaceful transition of power? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he was a fascinating figure from that perspective. And the whole campaign was interesting because I don't I don't know if he even realized or, or considered the fact that he might win the election because it seems so improbable because of all of this foreboding. Um, uh, said before the election, uh, just just throw out throw out the ballots and we'll have a continuation. Yeah. And then he <laughs> yeah, talked about yeah. president for life. Yeah. Yeah. Or go get me yeah. the votes. Right. Don't give me the votes when you don't, I don't have enough. And, and yeah, after they were after the after the election, you mean? Yeah. So what is it about this man mm-hmm. that was able to reach across and to his uh, electorate or whatever and and take control of them like that? Because these are rational people that voted for him, and some of them are, are friends and family. And I'm, I'm just wondering, what is it about him? It's a great question, and to me, in some ways, the most concerning part of this entire last five years is Mm -hmm. is the amount of support he has the number of people that support him the fact that half the country half the electorate is okay with just how disturbing his behavior is even when in my view his behavior was always the things he would say his approach was always disturbing and 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 incoherent but what he did leading up to Aaron, I think you're exactly right. Not just at the and after the election, but leading up to the election, the day of the election and after it was just off the charts, you know, the worst behavior of any sitting president in U.S. history by orders of magnitude, in my view. And even that didn't. Yeah, he needed but, a chart up here away yeah, from the regular chart. Later, yeah, a few months later at CPAC, he has a 98% approval rating. They say, I have the most loyal people. Did you ever see that? Where I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? It's like incredible. <laughs> no, they say, Trump, we love you too. And, um, and so why is that? And I, it's very concerning and, and I don't know. And I think if I had to, to, my best thesis is that what happens in our country in our two-party system, is that once one side has their horse, people have you know unbelievable confirmation bias in favor of their 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 leader, their guy. They they 
deflect the the facts that come their way that show that he's not fit for office and they embrace all of their, you know, pet theories about why he's a great leader and that that's a very powerful phenomenon. And, and then the only other thing I would add to that, and this, I think trying to, but the, but my best to be even handed, I do think a lot of the opposition to Trump throughout his presidency, not, not all of it, but a fair amount and a lot of the loudest opposition to Trump was um, was not rational itself. It was not accurate. It was not fair. And that, that gave his supporters a lot of fodder for saying, look, look what the, lib- you know, look what the liberals are doing to, to, to our guy. We need to defend him. And that and that really sort of an overcorrection. Um, yeah, that that. It's really coding like team red versus team blue, no matter what. Exactly. It really coalesces red. Yeah. When team blue is doing things that, that seem unfair. And one example to touch on what you said, Phil, he definitely had dictatorial tendencies and he said things like Mussolini would say and other dictators. But in my view, his rhetoric was, was very concerning and that's important. But he was he was very, very clumsy with execution. And and so the opposition was very effective at restraining him. The Supreme Court ruled against him. Congress impeached him twice. He couldn't overturn Obamacare. His own Department of Justice couldn't build a wall. Yeah, his, he couldn't build a wall. His own invest, his own Department of Justice investigated him for years. Mm-hmm. And so while he spoke like a dictator, a wannabe dictator, is how I like to think of it. He never rose to anything close to having actual control over the government in a dictatorial way. And so when people would call Close him, what became was January sixth after the election. I think. Yeah, but even that, dictators don't hold rallies outside of government proceedings. Dictators dictate what the government does. Right. And Trump didn't even get his way. He held a rally. It didn't work. And then he went home to Mar-a-Lago two weeks later. Dictators just tell everybody what to do. They dictate the proceedings of government and that's how it works. Yeah. He, he was, he wanted that. He, he was on that path, yeah. but yeah, he couldn't achieve it. He really wanted yeah. it. He had, he, the, he was he following the playbook, the disinformation campaign. Yes. Celebrating violence against journalists and the incitement there was enemy the, of the people. Yeah. That's a yeah. real, that's straight out of Mussolini's playbook. Absolutely. I remember did, he couldn't do it. He couldn't get it done. He could say whatever he wanted. He could tweet whatever he wanted. He couldn't get it done. No. Well, the, he never really, I really don't get the impression that he ever really fully understood or appreciated the um, checks and balances or the limits of his power or uh, the nature of his power. It seemed like he felt like he could do things by, the, you know, by. Uh, he knew very little about how government worked, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uneducated, really, despite what, despite whatever uh, degrees he might. When somebody's the president of the United States, the authority is total, and that's the way it's got to be. Yeah. Have on his. Yeah, thank you. Did he get his degrees from Trump University? Yeah, right. I don't think they passed them. Working School of Business, didn't he get? Didn't he finish there? Probably. I was very wealthy, and and that may have had something to do with it. Yeah, yeah I, he's not I an Ivy he League scholar. Yeah, he went to and, and there may be there may have been a Trump library the the day he showed up. Right. On the campus. Trump wing, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
but I, again, pure military. speculation, but I don't think he's very academically gifted. No, um, he's, right. he's gone to great uh, lengths to legally block people from sharing his uh, academic history. Yeah. Yes. Yes. In addition to his uh, tax records. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know if any human being in history has gone to anywhere near the lengths of Donald Trump at just hiding things from the public. I mean, right. It's, right. A, it's a huge operation that just always finds new how many non-disclosure agreements can that guy have? I would mm -hmm. guess in the hundreds. Easy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, minimum. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it may, may seem like we're beating him up here a little bit, but we are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I think that... Uh, we're going easy. Yeah, if you're up. listening to this, yeah. yeah, we're not on his side. I think I think Will's um, mm -hmm. initiative is, uh, you know, to, to examine what's left in the aftermath of his administration here and see... You know, uh, what does that portend for the future? You know, I mean, we still have people carrying it's like it's alive. You know, it's like if you cut a worm in half, uh, you know, still it's have, twice now. <laughs> you know, it's, we still have some uh, legal open cases against him, right? There's the E.G. Yeah. Carroll. And one of those uh, is just to make absolutely certain that he cannot be president again. Is anything that he did? And in, in my opinion, that's kind of what they're uh -huh. prosecutable. I mean, anything. He's got New York's trying. Yeah. So there's a number of legal proceedings right now. Um, um, so the state of New York indicted his CFO mm -hmm. for cooking the books. Mm. They had two sets of books. One of them they showed to the tax authorities that said, Your, our finances are terrible. We don't owe any taxes. And then mm -hmm. another set of books they show at the same time, they showed the lender saying our finances are wonderful. Give us great rates because we're not a credit risk. Mm -hmm. And as a generic matter, set aside Donald Trump and all of the connotations that that, that name arouses. If your FO is indicted for cooking the books, that's a really big problem because you are in charge. That is your company and you are in charge. And not only is, are you responsible for the exact thing that the CFO has been indicted for, but um, the, uh, the investigation is ongoing. And now a CFO who knows everything there is to know about the Trump organization, potentially, we don't know what his uh, constitution is like and whether he would do this, but event could become a witness against Trump. That's, that's real legal jeopardy for anybody. I think they now, have legal threats against his son now too, Wesselberg's son, Weisselberg's son. Yeah, yeah. So that's one, and that's a real problem. And then there's also enormous investigations going into the January 6th riot. Um, and I think they're ultimately, Congress is being at the sort of at the commission, but there's a lot of prosecutors at the DOJ looking into that. They're not holding press conferences every day, like members of Congress are, but that's getting enormous scrutiny. And if there's things that we don't know yet publicly about what Trump may have done that day, uh, that could potentially, now that's a long shot that a sitting president would get prosecuted for things he did while president, unlike what he did when he was running his company. But it's- well, I think the, the E. Jean Carroll case might be a bigger deal. She saved the dress from uh, when he allegedly raped her in the department yes. store. That's another civil case, address situation. I believe. And so, so the ultimate outcome there, I believe, would be I think it's a defamation case. Yeah, they need to um, 
I think they wouldn't uh, force Trump to submit a DNA sample while he was sitting. Yeah. But he's not sitting anymore. I think most of the time the, uh, the consensus is when a president leaves office, it's considered bad form or petty or political to try to pursue some sort of um, legal action against him. Um, it, and, and, and like, for instance, with uh, Nixon, you know, he was pardoned by Gerald Ford. And it was, mm-hmm. it was like, you know, he, at least had forward. The, he had this sense to resign. Yeah. Right. Grace. Right. But, but I think mm-hmm. that's because that's when those administrations have ended. You know, that's that's because we truly are moving forward. But now we're not moving forward necessarily because we still have this groundswell support for him. Yeah. And rallies that continue to be. <laughs> it's been over, you know, it's. It's it's a crazy phenomenon. I I didn't know Idiocracy was a documentary, but it it might be. I know I love that movie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, yeah. That, his popularity, I think, has a couple uh, relevant aspects to it, whether he will ultimately get prosecuted and convicted. He's al- he's also under investigation in Georgia for trying to convince them to commit election fraud. There's a lot going on. There's a bunch of stuff I'm sure we don't yeah, know. That, that was but ultimately, are you going to get? Can you get a, a 12 to zero in a country in a country where Donald Trump is still enormously popular with half the country, oh. roughly? Are you going to get a 12 zero verdict okay. against him in a criminal case? Yeah. Right. Uh, why don't we go ahead and do our uh, sponsor? Break? Yeah, let's go ahead and take a break here and um, we'll be back with Will Cooper. Stand back and stand by. Both sides, sir. You said there was hatred, there was violence on both sides. I think there's blame on both sides. You look, at, you look at both sides. I think there's blame on both sides. And I have no doubt about it. And you don't have any doubt about it either. And, and, and if you reported it accurately, you would say. They showed up in Charlottesville to protest. And you had some very bad people in that group. But you also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You. So I think some of the, the more, the most disturbing thing to me about his administration, and I think that a, a lot of, of Trump's administration is, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of, Voters seem to say the economy is the bottom line of everything and almost justifies the actions of, uh, of a uh, rogue president. You know, that's how they justify, you know, he's just mean and you can't handle that or something. You know, it's like because yeah. uh, the businesses mm. are thriving and things like that. But the most disturbing part mm. to me is how um, the, 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 the racial, the racial, uh, agitation or the the way that his inability to try to defuse he didn't try to defuse at all he tried to defuse right, at all right. gas on that fire yeah right. exactly threatened to send in the military if the governors wouldn't send in the national guard yeah yeah it's like so i think you're, you're, push, you're pushing yeah. into into people's civil rights you're pushing beyond uh, being able to set aside you know, something that you can set aside because the economy is improving <laughs> when you're doing something, when you're, when you're stoking the flames of racism that way, when like in 2017, 
and in it, Charlottesville. And the economy had been improving before he took office. Right. That's always open. It, was, it just mark. kept the it kept the same trajectory. Right. And it mm-hmm. and it's been going up quite a bit since he left. Yep. Exactly. Despite the pandemic, or because of. You know. mm-hmm. So I mean, um, where do you, where do you stand on that, Will? I mean. Uh, to me, that's the worst. The part. denial of racism, and yet the inability or the unwillingness to condemn racism. Yeah, yeah, I, I oh, the proud boys agree. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I strongly agree. It's a huge problem. I mean, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. where one of the president's jobs, when he has a huge microphone, the biggest in the world, is. Mm-hmm. Be careful with what you say in the context of health and safety. And then another example of, of the importance of the microphone is when you have all of this division and this strife, use your microphone to try to do, you know, bridge the divide, calm the storm, help people you know, remind everybody we're one nation and we have a lot of overlapping interests. And mm-hmm. Trump doesn't do that at all. I think yeah. Trump recognizes in a very cynical way that the more angry and the more sort of on fire in numerous dimensions, including race, racial dimensions, that his base is, the more energized they are and the more support he's going to have. Mm-hmm. So he, he stokes it mm-hmm. when every other president, Biden, Obama, Bush, Clinton, every mm-hmm. other president does the exact opposite, tries to comment. So it, I, I agree. It's very, very unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this country—it's a little bit scary. This country's not um, uh, without its extremely uh, racist politicians, you know, like um, David Duke and um, George Wallace. But in ways, I feel like because Tom Thurman, mm. yeah. But we're yeah. talking about a a president, a sitting of the president, United States, and whether his rhetoric is as extreme or not. Um, is there any been anyone who's been more divisive as a leader of this country, I, political leader? I don't think you can wrap. I don't think you can even even Lincoln probably not. You, you can't mm-hmm. even suggest anybody's been anywhere near this. Well, uh, and and when Philip initially um, suggested this question, I was like, well, we do kind of need to cut off like Lincoln and Andrew Jackson and, um, and any sitting president during a, a, a modern war. Yeah. Yeah. Modern presidents. Right. Modern. 50 years or so. Right. Yeah. He's a category of one in many ways. Oh yeah. I mean, who, who's number two in divisiveness Mm -hmm. of these presidents and think about the difference between them and Trump. You know, yeah, 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 Nixon, and, and that's just because he actually committed a crime and sort of confessed to it. Yeah, also committed a crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I was reading something in preparation for you coming on. It's about how, in many ways, Trump's uh, administration um, almost had like a formative spin to it, almost like a third world country, I guess, <laughs> and that. Uh, that you know that not working within the confines of the constitution i guess and it's just the kind of doing whatever he wanted dictatorial almost fascist leanings yeah Yeah. maybe i didn't understand that whole. yeah i don't know yeah i think so he just didn't 
as Lisa, I think you said, he just didn't, yeah. doesn't understand the constitution at all. He doesn't, right. He said, he's literally said, cause there was, there, they did a program where all these politicians and former presidents were reading the constitution and he, and he went into the studio to participate. And he said, I don't understand this. It reads open quote. It reads like a foreign language, close quote. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't, it's, it's a, it's a distant nebulous thing that he doesn't get at all and he's never spent any time in his life with constitutional law or structure or studying it it just he called the emoluments clause quote the phony emoluments clause this is a provision Mm -hmm. of the constitution that has a very important purpose he called it phony on Mm -hmm. at a press conference and he never did uh, really stop profiting during his presidency like you're supposed to right like like jimmy carter sold his peanut farm exactly mm-hmm. exactly um lisa was talking about that earlier today she was talking about during the pandemic some of his personal interests that were the benefit of uh you know some of the uh, the pandemic the, funds the, that help small businesses yeah. Yeah, all the trump hotel in washington they right. like you know dealt all the dignitary bit you know funneled all the dignitary business there um, yeah. all the vacations at the trump spas they you know build the secret service yeah all, exactly you know. he profited off of the travel right. exactly um and and even though technically his name wasn't on the company then it will be again i mean that's all there is to it yeah and i think yeah. it goes he he doesn't understand it. He he wants to get a he doesn't understand the constitutional system. He wants to get away with whatever he can. Then I have an article too where I have the right to do whatever I want as president, but I don't even talk about that. It's a thing called Article Two. Nobody ever mentions Article Two. More importantly, Article Two allows me to do whatever I want. Article Two would have allowed me to fire him. So it sounds but like I wasn't going to fire. You know why? because I watched Richard Nixon go around firing everybody, and that didn't work out too well. So, very simply, Article 2 would allow me to do. I could have done anything I wanted. I don't even bring it up, because we don't even get there. Absolutely, I have Article 2. It gives me all of these rights at a level that nobody has ever seen before. We don't even talk about Article 2. So, they ruled no collusion, no obstruction. Mm-hmm. But I do think, and this is, you know, an area where I push back against some of the narratives of his, of his opposition. He wasn't able to do a whole lot of the things he wanted to. So no, example in this, an example in this context, with his businesses, he has ongoing business. He recused himself, technically recused himself from them, you know, signed a bunch of agreements recusing himself and his business was on, ongoing. But he tried, and so that's one thing, right? You're bit, you own the business, you're technically not participating, and it's doing government business. And that's a very complicated um, question about what to do. Right. I don't think you can go too far. line there. It's yeah, probably being crossed. I don't think you can go too far because that would just eliminate any successful business person from being president without, they'd have to wind down all of their businesses to, to sit in the Oval Office. So there's some nuance there. But what Trump tried to do that was just this laughable violation, and he didn't get away with it, was he tried to host the G8 at his golf course. You guys remember right. that? Yeah. 
you couldn't have a better violation. If you just read the emoluments clause, it says you may not, the president may not receive money from foreign officials. And here's Trump saying, come to the G8. We got eight, eight countries, all their leaders, all their secret service, all their entourages. You're all going to pay, you know, pay us and we're going to get a bunch of money and we're going to have it at my resort. And, and even Kevin McCarthy said, President Trump, this isn't going to work. We won't support it. And then he pulled it back a week later. So uh, there were guardrails and even his friends would be the guardrails sometimes. And then, of course, very vociferous people in the press. The press did a very, very strenuous job investigating him. I think the Democrats, when they took the House, were very, very aggressive in 2018. And his own administration. Press conferences, you had to investigate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And in his own his own DOJ, I mentioned his own administration. There's that famous story about how his White House counsel refused to fire Bob Mueller. So the the notion that he that he actually was able to achieve a lot of these dictatorial ambitions, I don't think is is right. Oh, I mean, we for me, I never thought he was that successful. I was really kind of proud of the way he was. he was kept in, in check somewhat. Uh, but I mean, it seemed like the more he was kept in check, the more off the rails he went with Twitter and, and just some of this ridiculous stuff. Right. Yeah. So the scary thing is it's, it's outlining a, a way for somebody that's smarter than Trump uh-huh. to, to, but just as evil maybe to do this in the future. To leverage. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's writing their playbook. I think that's a great point. I remember in 2016 when it was there was a, a time there where it seemed like it was Ted Cruz or Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking and talking to to friends of mine about the you know pros and cons of either one. Mm-hmm. And I often said, choices. I often said Ted Cruz is a heck of a lot smarter than Donald Trump, so he's going to be able to get a heck of a lot more done. And in some ways, that's even scarier, even though Cruz is, is I think, more rational and, and, and definitely more aware of how the system works. But you're exactly right, Aaron. If you've got somebody who has all the wrong intentions, you want them as incompetent as possible. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we got lucky in that respect. That's what saved us is, yeah, the, the absolute incompetence of uh, Trump and Kushner and, you know, his his circle there, their well, inability like, like to, to carry out that, uh, you know, the Constitution saved us or that, that our system saved us, you know, but. Um, <laughs> you know, Thank God for stupid. If, yeah. no, if they didn't vote to convict in an impeachment after that incitement of a riot, when will yeah. they ever? Yeah, right. right. It's well, never going to happen now. I'm, it seemed I'm, like he had some momentum. He really did have legitimate momentum towards a second term before the pandemic hit. Unless um, unless there's a two thirds majority, I guess, in the Senate for one of the mm-hmm. parties, we're never going to see an impeachment mm-hmm. go go all the way. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't fathom how what happened on January 6th. And, and to me, yeah, the lead up, the things he was doing before the election, just sowing the seeds for the big lie. And then, he, you uh-huh. know. On January 6th, he's in a public forum as president of the United States giving a speech, right? Uh, 
there's a lot of, I'm not saying that this protects them completely, but there's a lot of First Amendment implications there that that historically the Supreme Court has given a lot of leeway to. But a few weeks earlier, he was on the phone on a private conversation trying to get Georgia officials to commit election fraud and find 11,000 votes. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. I only need 11,000 votes. Fellas, I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. There's nothing wrong with saying that, you know, that you've recalculated. Well, Mr. President, the challenge that you have is the data you have is wrong. That's a criminal offense. That's a big risk to you and to Ryan. I mean, if somebody's doing that sort of activity from the Oval Office and they're still not impeached, to your point, Aaron, what could they do? You know, what what do you have to do to cross that line if that doesn't do it? Yeah, well, he said he could murder somebody on Fifth Avenue or whatever and get away with it. I'm starting to believe that. He He probably could. He he boasted (laughs) that he could do that. Yeah. Yeah. certainly (laughs) Certainly acted like that was... The way it was working out. He certainly believes it. Yeah. 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 Oh, he's reinforced, you know. But so what I, you know, Trump um, definitely has a grand groundswell, you're saying up to 50% of the country, you know, uh, roughly. No. Well, 98% of CPAC, Uh which is, I think that's the invitation only, too, isn't it, to get into it? It's it's a really. You got to have the money. Do you remember um, the when it looked like uh, Trump Jr. was all coked up and uh, Kelly Guilfoyle was screaming at that? Did was that last year at the mm-hmm. last CPAC? That's no, you didn't. That. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> My God, I got some video clips to share with you guys. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, but the thing is, his opposition, he. he uh, he kind of cannibalized the Republican Party, in my opinion. I mean, he he fostered division within that party. I wonder, you know, he, he kind of tore it in half. You know, you had the Bushes that were opposed to him and Mitt Romney and yeah. um, traditional Republicans were... Uh, traditional conservatives, yeah. Yeah. Were dead. If, if, if William F. Buckley was here, would he be a Trump supporter? Absolutely not. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. there's no chance in that, no. Yeah. Um so I wonder, how does the republic is, is the Republican Party even um, does it even exist? Does the GOP even exist anymore, or does it? Is, what's the future look like for the GOP in the wake of this uh, administration? I don't think we know yet. Mm. Yeah, I agree. They have a lot of problems, a lot of dysfunction, but they also have a, a lot of people that are conservative and, and lifelong Republicans. And I, th- I right now the House of Representatives is, I think the Democrats have about a five seat majority and the Senate's even. So there's a huge chunk of the country that is going to rally behind the Republicans, whatever they do, even though the defunct- dysfunction is, is uh, unbelievably high and the fracturing and the cannibalisms very high. Yeah. And I remember- Mike Swing Bluer after the, after the riot, uh, we still have the next you know, midterm to see what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really hard to predict. I 
this is anecdotal and not particularly um, valuable, but I, for my, my own personal views, I remember in 2015 thinking the Republicans were just in shambles. You know, Donald Trump was one of the most popular Republicans and, you know, the, the Tea Party was just completely gone mad. And I just said, These, this party is in shambles and they're not going to be able to succeed. And um, about a year later, they had the presidency in both houses. Yeah. And so it just, it can be very hard to tell. And, and the dysfunction we see now can sometimes translate into success. Who would be, I mean, is there a... Uh... Is there a Republican candidate you're aware of that could be viable? As That's scary this. as it is to say, I think... Donald Trump right now is unusually popular as a presidential candidate. He's the, he's the front runner for 2024. And an unusually popular. Now, obviously, there's been nobody who... Unless he's in like him. Yeah. Yes. One one theory, too, to, to, to keep him off the ballot would be states. This hasn't gotten a lot of traction, but I've, I've written about it, and I think perhaps some states might it might get more traction as it gets closer, but the 14th amendment expressly says, if you've committed insurrection against the United States, you can never hold office again. Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're going to walk down and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down anyone you want, but I think right here, we're going to walk down to the Capitol and we're going to cheer on our brave senators and congressmen and women and we're probably not going to be cheering so much for some of them because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. And one way to tee, there's about a hundred ways to tee that up in litigation. One way to do it would be for states that are controlled by Democrats to refuse to put Trump on the ballot and say he committed insurrection on January 6th. He's not on, he's, we're not putting him on the ballot. And then Trump would have to go to court and get a federal court to order the state to put him on the ballot. Yeah. And, and that's, that's explicitly in the Constitution. It's explicit. So the question would be, was that insurrection? It could, and it likely would go to the Supreme Court or they would weigh in. A, Trump could lose and be prohibited from the ballot and therefore not get nominated. Or B, it could just cause a lot of problems and derail his campaign. Or C, it could be, you know, just another litigation in the election context that doesn't really do much. But I think it's a viable thing for for states to be considering. So, yeah, what's more, uh, more reason not to just, uh, you know, hey, we're moving on. Uh, This is still clear and present. Danger. Danger, which is, I mm-hmm. think, the theme of your upcoming book, right? Yeah, I think the theme of my book is just that this is continuing. It's exactly mm-hmm. what you said, Phil, and exactly what we're talking about. This is not over at all. And um, if if Trump's got 40% approval rating yeah. right now in the country, um, that's actually historically very, very high this early yeah. phase and, and he's got a huge army of people. He's got over a hundred million dollars in a pack. 
Mm-hmm. We've got um, hundreds of millions of people that are that are going to you know listen to what he has to say. So I think there, and then we've got all of his supporters that just love him. And and what do we yeah. do? Why is that? And what do we do about it? So it, it's very much continuing. Yeah, cult of personality. What, what does happen to all that money if he doesn't run? I mean, what what does the GOP get that? Does what happens? I I think he would after people skimmed it. You mean? Well, (laughs) of course, graft. But yeah, that's what Steve Bannon got indicted for similar raising money and then diverting it to a different purpose. And Trump pardoned him. But um, I think if he doesn't run, he would still be able to use it for purposes consistent with how he raised it. So other other campaigns, other officials. I'm not an expert in election law, but I'm pretty sure that, that that's how it would go and anything that he took for himself or diverted to a, a different purpose than what he said he was raising it for, that would be illegal. Right. Right. That's makes sense. So kind of consider consumed. <laughs> yeah. In one way yeah. or another hook or crook, I think they said. Um, yeah. So, um, uh, so things are in real time, like even this weekend, you know, uh, the Biden administration is removing, uh, the last uh, of our troops from Afghanistan, and it's under duress. The, the, uh, it's been captured by the Taliban, and um, there's this age-old. Uh, now we we attack the Islamic State. Yeah, and okay, so this is the rope that the Trumpsters are using to hang the president, the current, the seating president with. Um, Seated. Yeah. yeah. So how, how what's going on right now and the outcome that we might see from it, how is that going to play into Trump's uh, political strategy? Reemergence. Joe Biden was going on vacation as Afghanistan was going to hell. He surrendered our air base. He surrendered our weapons. He surrendered our embassy. This is what you get when you have weakness in the White House. When I was president, we only had strength. Yeah. Trump set this all in motion, though. He's the yeah. one that negotiated with the Taliban, kept Afghanistan out of the negotiations, mm. and announced that we're pulling the troops out. Yeah. Well, people have short mm. memories, and they also have very uh, silver-tongued devils that can spin it any way you want oh. to on these. We, these we have the video. Yeah. Well. Mm. But Will, what do you what do you think? Do you think that this is going? To, what's going on? That might play into his political strategy, or? I think that the Republicans are going to use this um, for a while, effectively, and the symbolism and the imagery is very effective for Biden's opponents to seize on. Aaron's right. There was a lot going on before Biden came into office, but the literacy of the American people in, in you know, parsing things out in that way are, is often limited. And they just say, who's president and what happened? Yeah. Um, and Biden's not without blame here or without, you know, I've, I've my Biden criticisms too, especially after um, watching the most recent John Oliver episode. Um, Back in, I think, 2011, Biden said uh, he, was, he was discussing with someone about getting out of Afghanistan. He said, fucking just get him out of there. You know, cut and run. Um, Nixon and Kissinger did it and they got away with it. And that's that's what he did. Yeah. 
No, I, I agree. There's there's culpability far and wide here. To your question, Phil, about how does this impact? My best guess is that it 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 continues to be in the headlines for a few more weeks, maybe a few months. I think by the time 2022 elections roll around, well over a year from now, it doesn't resonate much. I think people will be much more focused on what you said, Phil, the economy. Where is the economy? I think that will be a, a bigger question. Where's the virus? Things of that nature. And foreign affairs, to me, um, typically does not have as lasting an impact as foreign affairs you know, professionals think it does. Um, and this is that we're going to be there in a major way for years to come. And there's this imagery it's we're, we're leaving. So I, my, my best guess is that the sort of typically myopic focus on domestic affairs will, will render this not particularly important in 15 months when there's uh, elections. When mm. politics, that's usually the battery. That's a long time it's in like politics. The, the battering That's like ramp. a marriage in Hollywood. <laughs> right. It also, if, if there's another, Taliban attack on U.S. soil between now and then. That could, that could, yeah. But, but that struck me when you were talking about foreign affairs. Typically, yeah, the economy and um, domestic issues seem to always be most persuasive and long lasting. Excuse the pun, but they trump the other issues. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Look at Jimmy Carter. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And there can be some, that's the general rule, I think. And there can be some exceptions, right? If the Iraq war under George Bush, Mm -hmm. for example, was really lasted a long time and really pummeled his, his numbers and his support. But that was an ongoing initiative where, Mm -hmm. where our presence was actually growing in Iraq, whereas we're leaving Afghanistan, which to me that the difference there is, is important. In, in terms of how long the the attention stays. Remind me, did we find those weapons of mass destruction? And <laughs> well, we're still looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's oh, a couple of rocks they haven't looked under. They're with Nicole Brown Simpson's uh, real killers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, man, this has been really, it's been fascinating. I, uh, <laughs> I really yeah, enjoyed it. Having I feel like uh, when I think of somebody that's raising a child, we don't have children, but when I think of somebody who's raising a child and you're looking at uh, the president of the United States, whoever that may be at any given time, there's a certain responsibility, uh, implication of integrity and uh, any kind of impropriety or any coloring outside of the line should be dealt with, with, or should be viewed uh, from the perspective of um, a parent, you know, his, his child's going to, you know, come up in this world and, and this should be an example of them. And I think that this president violated so many different um, trusts. That, that, had been that applies to climate change too, in a big way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I think I agree. I agree, Phil. I mean, the most elementary lessons you teach your children that we, everybody agrees on, you know, the golden rule, right. You know, treat others the way you want to be treated. You know, honesty is important. You know, Mm -hmm. Trump just cast and violated without the slightest remorse. And there's never been anything like that. Locks kids in cages. There's never been 
There's never been anything like that. It used to be key ingredients to political success were character and decency. Those were fundamental key ingredients. Donald Trump just rejected them unapologetically and it worked. And that's alarming. Do you not think that, um, uh, that I don't always believe that they're honest, but at least some of them try to seem decent and honest. He didn't even try. Right. So in some yeah. ways, I, I don't totally disrespect that because, hey, he was just himself. He was that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, across <laughs> the board. And, and it's like, really? How did you vote for him? Yeah. And, and, and I want to speak to the kids in cages thing, because mm-hmm. that does the situation does predate the Trump administration. But Not the to that scale. No, no. Right. Exactly. It was lower scale. And because there are people who argue that, and I've, I've seen those arguments recently, publicly speaking, um, and uh, the scale was much smaller. And also, children and yeah, they were not separated families. from their parents until after Trump took over. So let's just clarify. Yes, there were detention centers. There have to be. And really, instead of putting them in prison until they were shipped back to their countries, they were placed in a detention center with other people of the same in similar situations, as opposed to hardened criminals and murderers. Because up to that point, some of some people coming over the borders had been just placed in prison, regardless of the situation. At least that's my understanding. Am I wrong? Well, these were these are asylum seekers. Well, I mean, the whole idea of the wall is like mm-hmm. was, it's, it's almost the most. What did George Patton say? Fixed fortifications are testaments to the stupidity of man. Oh, I here, like that. Here he is putting up this fucking wall around the border of the country, mm-hmm. thinking that that was going to filter out any That's bad. That's going to fix all the problems. It was the most mundane and stupid thing. You know, it's yeah. like, it's like uh, Flintstone stuff. It's like, yeah, it's like, easy to climb over, easy to cut down, yeah. easy to lean a ladder against yeah uh-huh. um right so the notion whether or not they're, they're <laughs> the wind blows it over <laughs> yeah right whether or not you're letting you know mm-hmm. allowing bad elements into the country mm-hmm. is really secondary to the notion that it's a completely ineffective way to manage right. um, the, the, the problem right yeah so. yeah and I, I really liked his um campaign pledge to not only build the wall to actually do it and get it done comprehensively which of course didn't happen but also just the absurdity i mean the cartoon narrative that mexico would pay for it (laughs) Um, just you know a simpsons episode that had a a presidential candidate say something like that would have been too much yeah (laughs) and yet he did and it worked and they were chanting it and and so just the degree to which ab- absurdity carries currency these days is very alarming. And I think it's a central part of the, the what's going on in, in Trump, the Trump world. Yeah. The Trump presidency is one of the things the Simpsons predicted long ago. In the, uh... I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and, as you say that, it is coming. And, coming and a flash forward uh, Lisa yeah. episode. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think the, yeah, I think things like that probably put the germ into his mind, you know. Maybe the height of popularity. It's Matt Groening's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, and and okay, I do want to ask this question real quick. Um, The 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 Trump show. We watched that show. Uh, You know where? What is the Trump show? Um, the TV show, the reality show where he had celebrity. Oh, the, the Apprentice. Yes, The Apprentice. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not I, I was like, I, I thought you were talking about a new show. I didn't know about. No, no, no. The, the Apprentice. Donald Trump. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, where do you do you think that the apprentice actually helped him get elected? Because I feel like it was edited in such a way that he came off smarter than he is. He came off kinder. Um, so, yeah. I mean, how much did the editing of that show affect his campaign? What do you think? Good question. I, I think it's a great question, and I think it did. I think it. I think um, it's a really interesting part about the country right now that reality television in, in its various forms is such a huge phenomenon. If you look at what one um, interesting thing to look at about what people are interested in is if you go to Google trends, you can see what Google searches are and the, the volume of Google searches in the country. And it's, it's not perfect, but it's a pretty dark, darn good indicator of what are people interested in. They break reality, it down state by state too. Yeah, you break it all down and and people are exponentially more interested in reality TV than the basic workings of government, right? So when a politician runs for office, they're a politician and their constituency is familiar with them and some are more famous than others. If you're a reality television star in this country and, and The Apprentice was one of the most popular shows, you're a phenomenon at a whole nother level. And Trump took that celebrity, which I agree with you, Lisa, was uh, the show was curated in a way that made him look a lot better than he really was about how to think about things. And it, and it positioned him in a way where he didn't, you know, he didn't have to come up with any creativity or ideas. He was just firing. I wonder how ratings would have been if they'd have let unhinged Trump just be unhinged Trump. On that <laughs> I've never watched the show, actually, so I don't know. Yet. He had a huge tailwind of celebrity coming into his campaign that I think has to have mattered. My my reality TV experience is limited to um, the first season of the Osbournes. And my daughter watched that. uh, um, What was the, she thought chicken of the sea was uh, chicken. Nick Lachey and Jessica Simpson. Well, she, that's, didn't, that's, she didn't know if Chicken of the Sea was chicken or tuna. Well, I can tell you right now that if it was unhinged Trump, I'd have watched every episode. Oh, yeah. If he'd have stayed yeah. on TV. We kind of got, got that. It was called, yeah. about it. It was <laughs> so, called yeah. the Trump presidency. Yeah, you got right. it. Yeah. yeah, we got that show. <laughs> yeah, it was just a little scarier. That's true. Um, yeah. Okay, now, uh, Will. We've uh, got a couple minutes here. Will. Yeah, uh, two last things. One, is there anything that we didn't ask about or didn't cover that you wished we would have? And and I realize we've only got four minutes, so just maybe the subject. And if we were to get back together again later, we could definitely touch on that more. Yeah, I thought I thought the show was 
It was great. And we had a really nice conversation. I can't think of anything that we left out, but at the same time, I think we could keep talking about this subject because there's so much you know, more that we could get into. I have yeah, two things I wanted to edge into. One okay. was the California recall and the mm-hmm. other was Mitch McConnell, but those, neither one of those are a two or three minute thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then um, the last thing is, Will, if you want to um, promote yourself, do your socials, well, th- thank you. I'm not. I'm not big on social media. Okay. It, I'm, yeah. unlike, do you have a website? Unlike Only the we topic, are yeah. Unlike the where, topic, where do you post your writing? So, I my writing gets published in uh, newspapers throughout the country, and some of them internationally. Um, and then my book um, is on Amazon. Um, it's stress test how Donald Trump still threatens American democracy. So my my writing gets out and and I enjoy that process. But um, unlike Donald Trump, I, I don't get a your, your promotion. Yes, yeah. I'm not as as good of a propagandist, I guess, as Trump is. I see. I see. All right. All right. Well, well, you have a fantastic afternoon. We really enjoyed this. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it, too. I really appreciate yeah. you having me on. Thank you. Yeah. Get, get yourself a Twitter just to say, here's my new book. You know, I wrote you. this. Yeah. It's a good that Twitter's, podcast. Twitter's not so bad and you can't ignore it most of the time yeah, you don't have to read that's it. what i do you just post on it <laughs> no offense to twitter rights nice to meet you will yeah. great to meet you thanks too. thanks, thanks phil right. and lisa yeah. thanks. thanks everyone really you appreciate too. your time thank you bye. bye that was great what do you think mr president it was all bullshit Hey, listeners, it's Lisa and Phil from Yeah, Uh-huh. How are we doing? We love feedback. Please use our socials to let us know what you think. We have social. Twitter. Yeah, Uh-huh Pod. Instagram. Yeah, Uh-huh Pod. Facebook. Yeah, Uh-huh Pod. Notice, Notice a pattern. pattern. Website. www.yeah-uh-huh.com. So let us know. Hit us back. Have a great week.